Hello and welcome to a very special episode of Finergo FinTalks, recorded live here at Amsterdam at Money 2020. My name is Dan Nasidi and I'm your host, and today I'm joined by Leslie Lee, the founder and CEO of U-Impact. Hi, Leslie. Thank you so much for joining me today. How can, For our listeners, can you just tell them a little bit about yourself and how you got started in the industry? Fantastic to have, to have me. Thank you very much. So my name is Leslie Lee. Um, I'm the founder and CEO of U-Impact. What we do is that we help financial institutions to help their end investors to start investing sustainably as easily as shopping online. So this is our way to really fulfill our mission to mobilize private capital towards sustainability. Um, my background is in banking. I actually started with JP Morgan the day Lehman Brothers went bankrupt. Mm-hmm. And as I spent over a decade in banking up until 2019, had this wake up call and say, you know what? I can do better with all this experience, all this education I've had in finance, in this financial industry. And this is why I took that leap of faith, left banking. And you know what? I'm now embracing bridging the gap of financial inequality and pushing for sustainability, which is where I believe the future is lying. Brilliant. So having been at Money 2020 for the past three days, what's your impression of uh, the event itself and how ESG ties into what fintechs here are talking about? So this is my fourth time in Money 2020. The first time I joined Money 2020 was when I first took my leap of faith. I left banking and I joined in 2019 in Las Vegas. That was my first experience. So that was the time I say, you know what, I'm setting up this ESG-related, sustainability-related fintech startup and see what I can do here. So back then, ESG was a very, very new topic, but that was the trend. That was the huge trend. And three years on, now we're here to 2023 in Amsterdam. So from the first day, so the first day of Money 2020, this one, I was on stage with our partner company talking about the exact topic of ESG with the very catchy title, Can ESG Save the World? I mean, in a, in a word, can ESG save the world? What's, what's your take? Actually, you know what? We went a bit controversial. On stage, we had three fintech startups, in, including myself. Um, we have Ecolytic, which is our partner company. They do carbon footprint calculation. And the other one is Planet Earth. We started with the, the, the statement, actually not yet. As it is now, is really not yet. Why is that? Then I elaborated about the status quo is ESG is a very buzzy space in the eyes of a general public. We did studies on end investors. So we talked to over 300 investors, like end investors, individual investors over the past few years. We actually found out only less than 10% of the people, they understand what ESG actually means deep down apart from that buzzword and all these acronyms. So you see, as it is now with the complexity, the lack of accessibility, the understanding with the data, it's not going to save the world just yet. But that's how the challengers like us were here to challenge the status quo, to accelerate that acceptance on ESG so it can actually save the world. Interesting. So you say not yet, which is really refreshing to hear, actually, to to recognize there are limitations as things are right now. What would you say the key difference is between ESG and 
what I guess the more uh, cynical people might call greenwashing. You know, people saying we're we're being really environmentally conscious, we're going to save the world, but really it's being used to distract from corporate mismanagement of natural resources. So you have all this,、uh, especially since the beginning of the pandemic. There was a huge push, whether from the general public or from the top down on government, pushing the word sustainability to 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 push the society into a transition towards sustainability. However, with that huge push, all good, you have all noises coming up because of that trans,、uh, lack of transparency and all this complexity. That's why greenwashing can exist. You see, the prerequisite is number one priority is to to bring that transparency to the general public, so that greenwashing can't live. And coming back to buzzwords like ESG, SDG, sustainable investing, is really about putting more colors in there. I, I say colors, and precisely colors. I like to call it. The Fifty Shades of Green, <laughs> right?、Okay. ESG. What does it really mean? But if you're understanding on the color palettes of green, of course we can start with the brown. The brown is like the kind of investments and the kind of asset, the kind of activities without any understanding or intention to do with sustainability. And then we bridge into say the light green. We're talking about do no harm. Do no harm is to our great, for example, no oil and oil and gas, and no nuclear. You name it. So that's a first starting point. And then we move on、um, across the spectrum of fifty shades of green. You move towards okay,、mm, higher level of this、uh, ESG integration. Go beyond just do no harm, and going towards creating actual impact and engagement. When it comes to involved with the companies in this、um, in this in this industry, to to really help them to transition as well, and then all the way to the right, you have the very dark green initiative, very dark green ESG assets, sustainable investment assets, and those that we're talking about actively engage in potentially high risk projects, but creating high impact. But having understood this.、Uh, Different shades of green, and they all come in involvement of different types of risk profile.、Um, when it comes to attracting investment into these different opportunities and on these different color palettes of greens, and then you will have to match the risk appetite of whichever investor or type of investor in order to bridge the funding gap into sustainability. So only then, when then that is. Completely solved, or how better than well, better solved,、um, is not going to save the world. <laughs> Fair enough. And so, you 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 talked about a lot there, but one of the things I really wanted to to latch onto is how you talked about deploying private capital in this in this space, and how can a are you seeing like great appetite from venture capitalists and from angel investors? To invest into the ESG space, and, and I mean, like, with with a view to like really solving these problems and and being a part of that. And do you think sustainable investment is something that can be really offered to retail investors in the future? Because I've seen lots of investment and wealth management companies talk about、um, green funds and ESG funds, and they're saying, "Oh, you know, 
you can invest for social goods, this, that, and the other. Uh, but some of them, when you look deep down into it, is it ASG? Is it greenwashing? It can be hard to tell. And that, that's why uh, it's really interesting to hear you say that yes, can ESG save the world? Not yet. Because there are these maybe less um, clear elements across it where that ESG factor is maybe not as highly rated they advertise it to be as they as they suggest it is mm. to um the end user mm. so again um this complexity of this whole esg topic is there um it's not standardized um the, the level of data is not in a way that organized in a way people can understand and be accessible and also use that data for investment purpose or for, for their for their own um, personal investments. And this is where we see these regulators come in. Um, in the EU, we have the regulations called EU taxonomy or SFDR. That is with the really good aim to standardize that data. So then ultimately the private capital can be mobilized towards sustainability. Having said that, um, if any of you have looked at those regulatory disclosure data, they're good with a good intention, but in terms of whether it's effective enough to mobilize the actual retail capital, private capital, I doubt it. I very much doubt it. So very complex. So that really needs to have a, if you like, a translation layer mm -hmm. to make that data, which is making a huge step forward in standardization and transparency, accessible to the general public. So. If you look at timeline um, as how it is offered right now, you can easily wait another five years for that to reach out to the general public. But what we say is that at Impact, we want to really accelerate that adoption, this understanding accessibility of those data so that the general public can start benefiting from that immediately. This is really accelerating this transitional yeah, I think that's, that's great, right? It, there's Why wait to put it in their hands, right? It, people care about this. Regular people care about this right now and they want to be involved. So making sure they can be involved with ESG is, is important. And actually, uh, it's interesting you talk about how there's lack of standardization across ESG. At Fenergo, we have a ESG readiness tool on our website that uh, I recommend all of our listeners go onto and can check their scores and see how ready for ESG they are. Um, but yeah, so... One of the things I wanted to talk about is how across 2022 and now on the start of 2023, we're seeing that the funding landscape has changed incredibly drastically for fintechs. And they need to start thinking more long term. They need to start thinking about end goal strategies. ESG is, by definition, a long term goal. Again, not yet, right? It's not yet that's going to save the world, but it will one day, potentially, if we do it right. Why is it so important for them to? start having long-term thinking when they approach ESG topics? Why is it so important for them to have ESG baked into their strategy going forward? Yeah. So from a VC funding space, if you look at since the beginning of the pandemic, the number of funds focusing on sustainability has increased 10 times. That's very encouraging to see because the VCs are now recognizing the fact that um, sustainability is not a charity. It's really there to earn money. We're talking about doing well financially and doing good. Um, and they are looking specifically for the companies. They would have a healthy um, financial parameter 
And this is, if you look at, come back to the to the definition of sustainability, being profitable um, is one of the triangles to enable the ultimate sustainability. Um, we're talking about environmentally sustainable, socially sustainable, and economically sustainable. That's the ultimate definition of sustainability. And then VC starts to recognize that as um, the macro trend. Um, However, in the observation, if you look at the funding space, there is a gray spot between seed to series A. Because VCs, they're really there to make multiple times return, right? The numbers has to be so strong. So then a lot of crowd into the space that, oh, I, I still need to see traction. I still need to have this fundamentals on returns as a prerequisite. And with the sustainability angle, then I'm in. Again, and if you look at the VCs, you've got to put them onto this shade of green again. What are their mandates? Um, are there uh, the do no harm type of light green VC? Or are they the dark green VC? So we can't generalize in that sense. And then their behavior will be different. That's, that's really interesting. Like you said, it really matters what your end goal is and to, to work back from that to create your strategy around ESG, right? Um, you said some interesting stuff around profitability there. Do you think it's vital for, especially in this economic landscape, for uh, ESG-focused fintech to look to have profitable models of business from the very beginning? Or can they go for the old school fintech style of mass adoption, mass appeal, worry about profitability later, let's just get this tool in the hands of people and start you know, making a difference? There is a, in funding, in funding landscape, there has been a correction, mm-hmm. right? Probably um, back in 2021, yes, if you wanna if you wanna go for the a massive adoption first and worry about the profitability later, um, that could work for anyone, whether it is your is a sustainable fintech or not. But because of the, the the correction, the funding space is not allowing that anymore. So having the fundamentals as a prerequisite is important across the board, whether you're sustainable or not. So which is, which I actually think is a is a healthy sign. Because you still need a viable, uh, you're creating a viable solution that the society needs and wants. And profitability is a good indicator. Do you think there's going to be a lot of difference between regular fintechs and sustainable fintechs? Or do you think all fintechs will have to become sustainable fintechs in the future? That's the aim. That's the total aim. And this is also the trend we're observing, especially more and more VCs for their portfolio companies. They start to require the reporting and they want to support more sustainable fintechs or startups and having that angle embedded into this process. I mean, we're, we're talking about funding, but investment seem like uh, in general, like from a private investments point of view, that's also the aim um, in the future. There will be no such thing as, oh, it's a sustainable uh, investment. Um, it should be a prerequisite. All um, investments will be exactly, sustainable. Exactly, exactly. Because we don't have time. We don't have time. And we have this climate change. It's not an economic talk. It's not a um, political talk. It's actually a survival talk. <laughs> so then yeah. without that, um, we all, well, we don't have to think about anything. <laughs> 
Well, you, you said this thing about uh, it's really important to be profitable right now. I guess you need to balance that on the uh, the other hand with the fact that your customers don't care if you're profitable or not, right? They just care that they're making a difference right now. They want to make sure they're building the future, right? Um, I think, you know, if you have a child and you think about the future that you're leaving for your child, you want you don't want them to be, you know, in a Mad Max style world fighting for water. You want them to be in a, you know, in a lush, you know, environmentally conscious future where people are doing really well. So what what is the balance that needs to be struck between the profitability and also proving to your customers that you are making a difference right now? So the the balance when it comes to balance, it, it seems to be we're indicating that, oh, you have to sacrifice one in order to have another one. But there is no trade-off between sustainability and profitability. Mm-hmm. So this is something that it's not, uh, it's not just that to preach. We see a lot of data proving that. And this is um, the general public start to get it. And if you think about profitability, to me, that's a direct translation to are you building something everyone needs, the society needs? Yes, of course, well, as everyone needs to build for a long-term sustainable future. So that will directly translate into profitability. So sustainability is becoming a vector for profitability, in fact. Exactly, okay. exactly. I really like that idea. I really like that approach. And I'm, I'm sure we're going to see a lot more of it in the, in the very near future. I mean, by the sounds of it, we're seeing a lot of it already. So, so that's really exciting to hear. Considering your own journey and the fact that you've got this very illustrious history in uh, banking, and now you're a founder yourself, and you've launched uh, a, you launched your impact in an environment that wasn't necessarily the most open to ESG when you, when you first launched, very different now, like you said. What advice would you give to fintech entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs in general, actually, who are looking to take that leap of faith and start their own ESG fintech in 2023? Mm. I, I would not just be limited to the fintech founders. Mm-hmm. I would actually want to extend that to the people probably working in corporate, which where I was before. I would like to extend that population to that as well. The people who are um, in a corporate job, maybe in finance, maybe in related area, but want to make a difference with their knowledge, their experience. I actually um, came up with a formula how they could start doing that from their own initiative. I call it, um, number one, is curiosity. Be curious and think really deep that how your knowledge, how your experience could contribute to the wider society to solve a bigger problem as a starting point. And also, um, it's a purpose talk, right? Mm -hmm. And once you find that purpose, number two is to be courageous. It's making a change when you are actually making a massive leap of faith when you try to um, do a career switch or, or, or a different transition of the focus of your current focus. That needs a lot of courage. However, that courage, once you do the number one, which is finding that spot that really drives you to make a change, take that courage. And number three is be obsessed. Why obsessed? It sounds like a negative word, but you either be obsessed or be average. If you're solving a problem that hasn't been solved, you really need that obsession to fall in love with the problem. So then you can have a solution that to solve 
what is out there. It's hard. Being an entrepreneur for for this, this three years, um, it's the hardest thing, hardest thing I've ever done. And now we're talking about selling to financial institutions. That is hard. Yeah. So you have to really build on that laser clear focus in order to be obsessively working on that solution to solve the problem. And number four, that's the most important of all, resilience, persistency. So if you're not having that resilience, and you will give up any time, but with that support on purpose, and you will always remember you either you win or you learn. So then, you only fail when you stop trying. So that will be the formula that I would like to to really share with the audience here. That's that's really great. In fact, it really reminds me of lots of things you said. That really reminded me of uh, talks I heard years ago about digital transformation and how that was the future of everything. And it was right, and it is, it still is. The digital transformation journey is still ongoing, and. ESG feels like a natural continuation of that journey, right? We've, we've seen all of these changes happen and realize that there are better and more effective ways to deliver. Yeah, and now we're looking to to focus on how we deliver those services, right? And, and focus on that really environment. Um, Leslie, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, it was, I really appreciate this conversation. If our listeners want to find you online or get in touch with you, where can they get? In, where can they find out more about you? Connect me on LinkedIn. Come to my website, youimpact.earth. Um, that means every single one of you can make an impact on the earth. Brilliant. Thank you so much. And thank you for listening to this episode of Finogo FinTalks. I'm Dan Nersigadu, and I've been joined by Leslie Lee, the CEO and founder of You Impact. Make sure to subscribe to the show. It's available wherever you get, choose to get your podcasts. You can always find us at finogo.com.